When I was being interviewed to be the pastor of Blue Valley Baptist Church almost 13 years ago now, um, there was a, a book that everybody was reading, and I was one of those everybodies. Uh, the name of the book is called Good to Great. Uh, raise your hand if you've heard the, of the book Good to Great. It, at the time, it was deemed to be the, maybe the best book on business leadership that had ever been written, but just to show you how these things age, all of the companies uh, profiled in the book as being good to great companies, a good many of them are now bankrupt and no longer in existence. <laughs> Uh, it was funny. There's a whole chapter on Circuit City. Uh, do you, y'all remember Circuit City? There's a whole chapter on Circuit City, which honestly, I think by the time I read it was swirling the drain, but I digress. The, the book actually had some principles which transcended business and which still hold true today and uh, kind of held out what kind of leader uh, is able to lead a company to transcend the norm. And five essential qualities of that kind of leader are laid out in the book. They are clarity, the ability to clearly articulate vision, decisiveness, they have a quick ability to make uh, decisions, and then they are courageous in making those decisions. That's the third essential quality. They, they're not afraid of change. They're passionate. They're convictional about those things that they are leading their company to do. And then finally, they have a humility, which allows them to be able to admit a mistake and then go in other directions and let other people get the credit for success. And they say in the book that the people that manifest those qualities um, to their highest degree are known as level five leaders. Well, today we're going to come to a passage of Scripture in God's Word that talk to us about the essential qualities of a person that we might consider level five faithful. Uh, The essential qualities of someone... Who, whose walk with Jesus transcends the norm. As we look at this person, we see that they are, are experiencing life with Jesus in ways that, that the average, normal, everyday Western American Christian is not. And those qualities are found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you would please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We are continuing our series of messages from this little New Testament book, a personal letter really, from Paul to a young mentor named Timothy, encouraging him, guess what, to stay faithful. And he really breaks down in a very, very simple way what those essential qualities of a faithful person are as we open chapter 2. So, having found 2 Timothy chapter 2 in your copies of God's Word, would you stand please as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning, beginning in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 2. Paul writes, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
So probably pretty easy for you to identify on your own. Paul's writings sometimes are, are complex to our eyes and our ears, and you really have to dig deep to maybe get at what he's saying 2,000 years later. But all of us, if we just spend a little bit of time with this, can see these essential qualities. So, so what are these things that you yourself have already noticed? The first essential quality of a person who is faithful, who's transcending the norm in their walk with Jesus, is that they are strong in grace, that they are strong in grace. The English Standard Version from which I uh, preach says, be strengthened. Timothy, be strengthened. Some of our translations will say, be strong. And, and that kind of language, that kind of, let's just, let's just call it, you know, in an earthy way, that kind of Rambo language, be tough be strong, suck it up. That, that language resonates with us in, in modern America today because we believe that, that true success and true leadership is defined by tapping into some essential quality on the inside of us by being able to just toughen ourselves to the point where we can be strong. But that's also a toxic thing for us. Because what we uh, believe about ourselves, if we're to be successful, that we have some kind of inner quality that we can draw on, at some point will not be enough for us. And so uh, people begin to, to, to feel weak and begin to feel at the mercy of their circumstances. But Paul's, Paul's not talking about being strong or being strengthened in an earthy, Rambo, suck-it-up kind of way. What he's saying here, look at it closely, is that Timothy, in order to be faithful, in order to be able to transcend the norm in his walk with Jesus, must be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's very simple what Paul is saying here. He's saying, Timothy, do you believe that by some effort, by some kind of moral credibility on your own, that you were able to gain your salvation? And Timothy would answer, like all of us should answer, no. I, I can't earn salvation. I can't become good enough for the, the forgiveness of God and, and the salvation of God to be granted to me. And so then he says, okay, if that's true, it's also true that you can't live out your faith in Jesus without the grace that he supplies. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that keeps us. And so there is a, a sense where Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to be strong in Jesus. That's where your strength is going to come from. Not strong in you. Not and Timothy, you know, by all by all accounts, by as reading as we read First and Second Timothy, is kind of naturally a timid person. So to hear "be strong" from someone like Paul would say, "Well, I can't do that." But the point is, no, you can't. You need to be strong if you're going to be faithful. If your life's going to transcend the norm, you need to be strong in the grace that Jesus gives. It is his life that is going to make you faithful. It is his life through you that is going to allow you to transcend the norm. And yet there is an imperative here. He is not telling Timothy that he just needs to be passive about his life, that he is not to say, okay, well, Jesus, I need to be strong. Hit me. He, he is, by saying, be strengthened, by saying, be strong, he is letting Timothy know that there has to be an active engagement of his life with the life of Christ in order to have that grace and that strength to be able to navigate the Christian life, in order to have a faith and a faithfulness that transcends the norm. And so it's broken record time. How does that happen? It happens as we engage the life of God through the spiritual disciplines. 
It happens as we take God's Word and we read it, not simply to say, hey, I read God's Word today, but to hear the voice of God in it, to have the focus on God. It's it's praying and not to pray so that we can say, hey, I prayed today, but seeking the will of God, pouring out ourself to God. It's memorizing Scripture and letting it saturate our minds so that all the thoughts of self begin to move away. And as we engage the life of God, Through the practice of these classic spiritual disciplines, his life is what people begin to notice. See, the faithful person is ultimately just a conduit, a a means by which people notice Jesus. That's what it ultimately means to be faithful, his life showing up in ours. And so he begins by telling Timothy, if you want to be faithful. If you want your walk with Jesus to transcend the norm, you need to be strong, make a commitment to experience the grace of Jesus for his life to begin to show up in yours and teach others to do that as well. That's the first essential characteristic. The next essential characteristic of the person who is faithful is that they are strong, or excuse me, they are focused like a soldier. Focused like a soldier. One of the most powerful scenes in any movie that I have ever watched is the opening-ish scene of Saving Private Ryan. It begins with an intense focus on the eyes of Tom Hanks' character. And then it pans back and you see that his face and his body are with the other faces and bodies of men who are riding the landing craft into the D-Day beaches on the D-Day invasion. And these men all know what awaits them when those doors open. They all know that German machine guns are going to open up and that in all likelihood, most of them will not make it to the beach. But the idea being, if we send enough, they can't stop us all and we'll be able to take back Europe. Now, that is just a scene in a movie, but that happened in real life. And I find myself, when I see that scene, just reflecting on, on what it took for those men to say, I, I'll, I'll give my life for something greater. I'll obey what my superiors are telling me to do. And so there was a focus in that moment on following orders, on being obedient. And this is what Paul is getting at here. Look again at verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to focus on the one who enlisted him. Those two verses give a command and then a means by which to fulfill the command. The command is share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus. Now Paul knew what he was talking about when he's speaking to Timothy about being willing to suffer as a good soldier in Timothy's ministry context, which was the, old, or the New Testament city of Ephesus. Paul had been a part of establishing the church in Ephesus, and the, the, the pagan culture rose up against Christianity in a violent way about two years in to where they drug all of the people they deemed to be leaders of the Christian religion to the forum in the city and had every intention of literally ripping them from limb to limb. And had it not been for a government official intervening, that would have happened. This had been the experience of Paul where Timothy was. So when he tells Timothy, share and suffer, 
suffering, he's saying essentially share in suffering like I have shared in suffering. And then Timothy's going to say, okay, but how do I do that? How do I do that? And he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The focus of a soldier who's willing to assume suffering for a greater cause is not becoming worried about anything else but the orders of their superior. Here's what happens in modern American Christianity. We convince ourselves that the number one thing God wants from us is to be happy. And right behind that is that He wants us to be safe. So if I'm happy and I'm safe... I've experienced the very best thing that God would have for me. Let me tell you, if you are a person who believes that all that God wants for you is to be happy and to be safe, then you will never have a faithfulness that will transcend the norm. In fact, if you believe that all God wants from you is to be happy and to be safe, you can rationalize with those two convictions your way out of any obedience that God might call you to. Because you can say, well, God may be calling me to, to leave my, well, my, my good-paying job so that I can plant a church. Or God may be calling me to uproot my family and move to another part of the country or another part of the world where I can be a part of a church plant. You can hear God saying to you, but you say, that might not make me happy, and that might throw my retirement in flux. And God wants me to be happy, and God wants me to be safe, so I guess that's not what God is saying to me. Somebody who's going to have a faithfulness that transcends the norm is going to be someone whose first and only concern is what do they do to please the Father? What do I have to do in order to bring glory and honor to Him? And if that person is willing to do that, they will begin to experience life with Jesus that transcends the norm. So there are two things we've learned so far. You're going to have a, a, a faith, a, a faith walk, a walk with Jesus that transcends the norm. You have to be strong in grace. You have to make a commitment to engage the life of Jesus and then let Jesus flow through you. Then you have to have a focus like a soldier, willing to do whatever Jesus asks. The third thing is this. The faithful person is someone who's disciplined like an athlete. Disciplined like an athlete. Look at verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, that phrase, according to the rules, gives some different options for understanding. We're really not quite certain the exact thing that Paul means by that. He could mean that the person who is the successful athlete who wins the prize of the race is someone who just follows the rules of competition. So they stay in their lane, they, you don't, they don't uh, commit some kind of infraction which would disqualify them from the race. Or there's, there's some evidence that Olympic uh, event athletes, before they can compete, had to declare that I have trained this long, this many months, to be able to participate in this event before they'd be allowed to compete. So it's either they don't break the rules or they make this declaration to commitment. Either way, both of them deal with the idea of discipline. In order to achieve the prize, it requires a commitment to discipline. And I am continually amazed at the testimony of people who give almost nothing to their life with Jesus, 
who then somehow confess that they are disappointed in Jesus for not doing for them what they hoped. They, they believe that Jesus exists for them, and they don't really have anything that they're going to give Jesus in return, that Jesus just needs to do stuff, and Jesus didn't do enough stuff for me, and so he's been a, a huge disappointment. The reason that we believe that is because in American Christianity, we've preached a faulty gospel. Please hear this. We have preached a faulty gospel. We have, in churches like ours, told people for decades, all Jesus wants is some words in a prayer, and in exchange, he'll give you heaven someday. All you need to do is pray this prayer, and if you pray this prayer, someday you'll get heaven. That is not the gospel. That is not what Jesus gives us. Here's the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is here. Its king is Jesus. Follow him. That's the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus is its king. Follow him. It is an engagement. It is a full engagement in the life with Jesus, following him, being only concerned with obeying him, being disciplined in the practice of doing it. Many of you know that I like to run. Uh, I like to run because I like cake and donuts. That's the, the sole reason. I, 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 that's the reason I run. I run because I like cake and donuts. And I'm coming into a time of the year that is dangerous for my running habit because I run in the morning and it's getting darker and soon it will be getting colder. Dark and cold are not things that motivate me. In fact, you've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. God did not intend this world to be cold. The reason it is cold is because of human sin. And that's, I'm, I don't know if I can prove it, but it is what I believe. That is my truth, all right? <laughs> and it's hard for me to do that. So you know what I do? Every single month of the year, I sign up for a race. I, I pay 30, 40 bucks so that I will know that there will be a Saturday morning that month that I have to roll out of bed no matter how dark and no matter how cold it is, to run. That's that idea that there's an expectation disciplines me. And if you believe the faulty gospel, that all you have to do is say some words so that you can get heaven someday, there's no expectation on your part that disciplines you. But if you recognize that the gospel is the kingdom of heaven is here, Jesus is its king, I follow him, then that becomes your disciplined motive to get out there and to engage life with Jesus and engage the life that he requires from you. So there's three things. We've talked about being strong in the grace, and that is kind of the foundation. And then being strong in the grace uh, requires that we um, be focused like a soldier, that we're only concerned about obedience, and that we be disciplined like an athlete, that we are engaging. We're, we're competing in life. We're engaging life in a, in a disciplined kind of way. The last thing is this. They are steady like a farmer. The faithful person is steady like a farmer. Look at verse 6. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Probably won't surprise you. I'm not a farmer. I I uh, have I've, uh, never uh, done that. My grandpa, Lynch, was a farmer. He's a chicken farmer. He was a good chicken farmer. 
every time we visited him in northwest Arkansas, my mom would say, Russell, it stinks. And, and Grandpa would say, that smells like money to me. And that's just uh, how it worked. You know, my, my granddad was a farmer. But here's one of the things I know about farming. There's a rhythm to it. There is, a, there is an essential, daily, steady rhythm to it. The only thing that I have that can connect me with that is the idea of gardening. I have had a, a garden. And because I hate the cold and I hate the dark, as soon as it started warming up enough to be able to work in my garden, I was, I was out there and it was awesome and I would till everything up and I'd get all the weeds out and I'd get everything in a tight little row and I'd plant all of my seeds and I would water it and I'd look at it, you know, every day water it and look at it, and finally they'd start to pop up, and you'd be super excited, and then you wouldn't visit the thing for two weeks. And then you'd come back, and, well, it's, things look a little dry and shriveled up. There's a lot of weeds here. And, you know, you'd spend a few minutes, and then you'd just walk away and come back a couple of weeks later, and it looked terrible. And, you know, the other gardeners were shaming you for how, how yours looked. And so you'd feel guilty, and you'd get out there, and you'd get it all fixed and it'd look great again and you'd water it for a few days and then you'd just not mess with it. And, and you'd always be shocked, at least I would. Why do, why do I not have more stuff? Well, it's, it's because in order to be successful at that, there's a steadiness that is required. Here's the thing that is true about the Christian life. It is not a favored place for jackrabbits. And this is how we approach the Christian life. Like jackrabbits. Man, you hear a sermon, or you go to a camp, or you go to a conference, or you have a great Sunday school class, and you think, you know what? I am going to get my act together. The, the number one attended month of the year at Blue Valley Baptist Church, take out Easter. Number one attended month of the year at Blue Valley Baptist Church is, anybody want to guess? January. Why? Well, because about November, you say, I want a new Bible for Christmas. I'm going to read that Bible every day this year. All right, so you get that new Bible, and so the whole church is filled with that new Bible smell for a Sunday in January. <laughs> and people pull it apart, and all those little gilded pages come apart, and everybody's super excited. In February, they're not there. And the reason is, is that we have convinced ourselves that, that we can be successful in fits and starts in the Christian life. And Jesus is telling us, using this very simple illustration, Instead, you've got to be like a farmer. There's got to be a steadiness to it. And it's that farmer who is steady who has the expectation of the crops at the end. Now, folks, I'm going to readily admit something to you. You could have figured every bit of this out for yourself. You didn't need a preacher to stand up here and talk to you about this. This is something that you could have figured out for yourself. But sometimes it is good for us to collectively see how simple all of this is. It is not something that is hard to do. Being a follower of Jesus is not something that is hard to do, hard conceptually to figure out. But being a follower of Jesus is all about the most rigorous commitment that you have to anything in your life. And if it is anything less than that, then your Christian life will be less than that. This is what God calls us to. He calls us not to find something within ourselves that makes us faithful. He calls us to tap into that which Jesus has placed within us himself 
and have that manifest itself in our life. That's what faithfulness looks like. It looks like Jesus. And in order to do that, we, we have to be uh, someone who is uh, focused like a soldier, disciplined like an athlete, steady like a farmer. And so the reason that that person that when I talk about faithfulness, that that person stands out to you is because they did these things. And you're thankful for that person for modeling that for you. But you have to, I have to pay it forward. I have to be that model, that exemplar for the people coming behind me. All of us are called to press on in this faith that Jesus has called us to. All of us have the capacity to have a faith that transcends the norm. And it starts with Jesus, who saved you by his grace and keeps you and supplies you by his grace. You make the commitments, and Jesus will do his work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please.